As of today, we are officially putting Iran on notice. Oh, fantastic. Boy, they really want war. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Or chaos. I got the feeling that something right. Or havoc. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Very successful and administration. I'm how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is... The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and... Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, far too thrilling episode of what we call the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Glad to have you with us today. Coming up... Federal science-based agencies are under attack by the Trump administration. You know that part. But what the hell is going on at the CDC, where they seem to be preemptively attacking themselves, sort of, uh, or at least changing long-held plans for upcoming climate conferences and LGBT conferences without even being told to do so by the Trump administration, apparently. So what the hell are they thinking at these Centers for Disease Control and Prevention? We'll have a former longtime director of the CDC here to join us shortly to try and figure that out. Also, Desi Doyen will be here with our latest Green News report. She's here now. Hey, Des, how are you? I am here. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yes, so you'll be back uh, with our latest Green News report in which you will report... That everything is awesome, <laughs> right? you wait. Yep. Uh, so you can look forward to that as well. There is a lot to get to today, as usual of late. But let me start here uh, with a little bit of good news, since everything's just going to get so much darker from there, I suspect. Uh, picking up for a quick moment where we left off yesterday, uh, just briefly, uh, the calls for Democrats to step up and filibuster Donald Trump's nominee for the stolen U.S. Supreme Court, the, the seat vacated by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia a year ago, and then subsequently stolen for the past year by Republicans who refused to even hold hearings on President Obama's very centrist nominee, Merrick Garland, those calls seem to be increasing, both from the public and from the media, but most importantly here, from the public. 
New York Times had an op-ed about this. Jonathan Chait said, uh, make, force Republicans to use, to nuke the filibuster option. Force them to do that. And I agree. And uh, Democrats need to uh, find their spine. You can help to find that spine by applying public pressure to your U.S. senator by calling and demanding that they filibuster anybody but Merrick Garland, anybody that Donald Trump uh, appoints uh, other than Merrick Garland or someone, frankly, to his left, if that uh, can possibly be imagined. You can call the U.S. Senate, your senators, both of them, at 202-224-3121. And if you find that their office is not answering or the voicemails are full, go yep. then to their local office, their state office. You can look it up online. Get to them any way you can. Email them and write letters. They love snail mail. All of this makes a difference, and all of this is making a very positive uh, difference, actually. Uh, you may have heard the report a few days ago that Harley Davidson, a, a factory in Milwaukee, backed out of hosting uh, Donald Trump um, where he had planned to go to sign executive orders uh, relating to manufacturing or something. Uh, an official at Harley Davidson said that um, while Harley was fine with having Trump sign executive orders at the factory, the company was hesitant to post the president amid protests. There have been huge protests all around the country. Uh, on, on Tuesday, the Facebook group Milwaukee Coalition Against Trump announced that the president's visit at the factory had been canceled after uh, and, and they went ahead to thank members for a call in action that put pressure on Harley. Now, uh, officials from Harley Davidson actually met at the White House with the president today instead. But uh, I, I think it was the pressure of, uh, you know, hearing from people, hearing about complaints and concerns that there would be huge protests meeting the president in Milwaukee that uh, led to that cancellation. And, you know, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, they can't leave the country. They can't go anywhere for fear of not just protests, but being arrested, frankly, for war crimes. If they go overseas, they are now prisoners in their own country. I think it would be fantastic if Donald Trump was a prisoner in his own White House, that he could not go anywhere without the threat of throngs of thousands and thousands of people protesting. So public pressure works. Public pressure makes a difference, and it uh, has continued to make a difference when it comes to this. Uh, Des, I, I think you saw this um, uh, well, actually, you you reported on part of this on the Green News Report a couple of weeks ago. Let me uh, go to wilderness.org on this. Under a recently passed House rule, a new bill would have sold off three million acres of public lands, uh, which uh, wilderness.org calls an egregious assault on our wild. Utah Congressman Jason Chaffetz's bill identified 3.3 million acres across 10 states to be disposed of and sold off just a few days after the House passed a rules package making such land seizure plans easier to execute. And I think that's the part that we reported on on Green News Report. Yeah, we talked about how they changed the valuation of public lands to make it sound like they have zero value, zero revenue, because then they wouldn't have to offset the loss of that revenue from selling it by cutting the budget someplace else. If it's zero, 
there's no loss. And they can uh, claim that, oh, we're closing the deficit by selling this off and taking money uh, from it. That's what the Congressional Budget Office now, since this rule change, apparently, um, they provide uh, lawmakers with data so that they can make budget decisions. And now they officially consider public lands to have no monetary value whatsoever. Which is not true. Which is, of course, not true. But it means that uh, legislation like Chaffetz uh, has an easier path to being enacted. So Chaffetz's bill would have sold off lands or would sell off lands in Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah and Wyoming in order to reduce the federal deficit. Yet a poll conducted just a few months after uh, the time that Chaffetz introduced this legislation, he originally introduced it in 2013, uh, found that 72 percent of voters in western states would be less likely to vote for a candidate who supports selling public lands to reduce the deficit. Most voters in Chaffetz's own home state said they are less likely to vote for a candidate who proposes the sale of federal lands. That was uh, that was back in 2013. And now polling from after the 2016 election shows that 78 percent of Americans oppose efforts to privatize or sell public lands, including 64 percent of people who voted for Trump. Yes, a majority of Trump voters are also against this. So when uh, Chaffetz introduced this bill, there was an outcry. There was complaints. There was people calling Jason Chaffetz's office and saying, don't do it. Well, now we've got an update. Jason Chaffetz uh, has announced in a uh, in a post on Instagram that he is withdrawing this land sell off bill. Public yeah. Pressure wins. You're dubious? Uh, No, I'm laughing because he introduced the bill, and then when he withdrew it on his Instagram photo, Mm -hmm. he said, well, I'm an avid hunter and angler, so I can't do this. It's like, well, why did you do it in the first place Exactly, yeah. But, hey, the good news, don't be complaining, Des. Oh, I'll complain. Well, we have some good news here. Uh, He said, I'm withdrawing H.R. 621. You're right. He says, I'm a proud gun owner, hunter, and love our public lands. Yeah, right. Uh, Love our public uh, lands to sell off to the fossil fuel industry. That's all that this was about. Well, exactly. Says me. Uh, I hear you. He says, uh, but the groups I support and care about fear (laughs) it sends the wrong message. The wrong message about, you know. The truth about yeah. uh, uh, Chaffetz. The wrong anyway, message is in he won't get elected again. Nonetheless, he says, and stop looking a gift horse in the mouth here, because this is the only good news we got I today, know. Desi Doyen. He I says, know. I hear you, and HR 621 dies tomorrow. He said on his Instagram, hashtag keep it public. So they got the message. Message delivered. There's some good news. Uh, everything else beyond that, not so good news. Let me start with this uh, with this tweet. Uh, be prepared. There is a small chance that our horrendous leadership could unknowingly lead us into World War Three. <laughs> you know who tweeted that? <laughs> no. You got any guesses? No. That would be Donald Trump tweeting that. Awesome. Uh, uh, that was uh, back in August of 2013. And yet he seems to be uh, quite interested in leading us straight into World War Three himself. Uh, but, uh, you know, he is so bad at this. He is so bad at his job. He is now picking fights with our allies. Never mind the people. Never mind our actual foes. He's now fighting with our allies. 
Washington Post uh, reports it this way. It should have been one of the most congenial calls for the new commander in chief, a conversation with the leader of Australia, one of America's staunchest allies. Instead, President Trump blasted Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull over a refugee agreement and boasted about the magnitude of his Electoral College win. That, according to a senior U.S. official, to senior U.S. officials who were briefed on this conversation uh, with Turnbull on Saturday. He was, by Saturday, a full week after his inauguration, he was still boasting about the size of his Electoral College win, which was slim at best, and about the size of his inauguration, which was tinier still. Uh, but then apparently uh, 25 minutes into what was supposed to be an hour-long call, Trump uh, abruptly ended it. He, he hung up. He just got out, ha- not even halfway into this conversation, with our friend, Australia. At one point, Trump informed Turnbull that he had spoken with four other world leaders that day, including Russian President Vladimir Putin, and that, quote, this was the worst call by far. He said that to the uh, prime minister of Australia. Um, Trump's behavior suggests that he is capable of subjecting world leaders, including close allies, to a version of the vitriol he frequently employs against his uh, his adversaries and against news organizations and, and on Twitter. Trump fumed as Turnbull attempted to confirm that the United States would honor its pledge to take in 1,250 refugees uh, from an Australian detention center. This is the worst deal ever, Trump said. One day earlier, he had signed that executive order barring the admission of refugees and and complained that he was going to get killed politically for it. But then he accused Australia of seeking to export, quote, the next Boston bombers. Trump uh, returned to the topic of Australia on uh, on Wednesday night on Twitter. He said, do you believe it? The Obama administration agreed to take thousands of illegal immigrants from Australia. Why? I will study this dumb deal. Well, it's troubling that he hasn't studied the dumb deal before he talked to the uh, Australian uh, prime minister with whom he had made, uh, with whom the U.S. at least had made this deal. And it's troubling that he doesn't understand that refugees are not illegal immigrants. They are people uh, fleeing from war zones for their lives, for their lives. And they were uh, to come to the United States legally. He views anybody not from the U.S., as an illegal immigrant, period. U.S. officials said that Trump has behaved similarly in conversations with leaders of other countries, including Mexico. But his treatment of Turnbull was particularly striking because of the tight bond between the U.S. and Australia, uh, with whom we uh, share a lot of intelligence and support each other diplomatically, fought together in uh, in wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. A senior administration official acknowledged <clears throat> that the uh, that the conversation with Turnbull had been hostile and charged. Trump vented anger, touted his political accomplishments uh, as well in a tense conversation with the Mexican president Enrique Peña Nieto. Even in the conversations marred by hostile exchanges, conversations with our <laughs> with our our, our friends. Trump managed to work in references to his election accomplishments. 
According to U.S. officials, uh, he said he used his calls with both Turnbull and Peña Nieto to uh, mention his election win or the size of his crowd at the inauguration. One official said that it may be Trump's way of speaking about the mandate that he has and why he has the backing for the decisions that he makes. Well, here's a funny thing about that mandate. He ain't got one. New poll out today from Gallup uh, finds that just four in 10, roughly, and that's putting it nicely, roughly four in 10 Americans approve of Trump's executive orders. For example, uh, the uh, the executive order uh, ordering a, a ban on entry into the U.S. for most people from seven predominantly Muslim countries, just 42 percent approve of that. Fifty five percent disapprove of that. Uh, ordering the construction of the wall along the southern border with Mexico, 60 percent disapprove, just 38 approve a 22 point margin. Wildly unpopular. That wall uh, along the southern border. His executive order for indefinitely suspending the U.S. Syrian refugee program, almost as as uh, unpopular. Fifty eight percent disapprove of keeping Syrian refugees out of the U.S. Only thirty six percent of Americans approve. That's with uh, his overall job approval rating right now at uh, just 43 percent with 52 uh, percent disapproving. 52, a majority of Americans, 52 percent disapproving of, uh, of the job that Donald Trump is doing. The earliest we, we as we know, of any uh, U.S. president hitting a majority disapproval. Other than that, though, uh, yeah, he was uh, speaking about the mandate that he has and why he has the backing for the decisions that he makes. He told uh, the Australian prime minister, he said, I don't want these people. That's a quote. I don't want these people. At one point, Turnbull suggested that the two leaders move on from that impasse about refugees to discuss the conflict in Syria and other pressing foreign issues. But Trump demurred and ended the call. With our friends in Australia, with the Prime Minister of Australia. This is just uh, unbelievable. You even see uh, people like Jennifer Rubin over at Washington Post on their Right Turn blog. Uh, She's a right winger. She's never been a Trump fan, but she is an ardent far right winger. Uh, Even she is now scared to death at what seems to be going on with our friends and foes alike. And it was uh, our foes, I guess, in Iran, uh, which is now uh, really getting scary, really getting scary. Iran vowed today that it would not bow to threats from the U.S., would continue its missile activity. A senior advisor to Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, the Iranian supreme leader, criticized the, quote, extremism of President Donald Trump, who has declared Iran was on notice after it fired a uh, ballistic missile on Sunday. Trump took to Twitter and said Iran has been formally, quote, put on notice in all caps. I, that was remember uh, Stephen Colbert's old show uh, where he used to have that uh, board, uh, this on notice board. <laughs> yes. You're on notice. That's apparently what we are doing now uh, to Iran, putting them on notice. Uh, this, of course, allows them to talk about uh, Trump's extremism. 
uh, as uh, a, a, an Iranian advisor said in Tehran on, on Thursday, he dismissed what he called the U.S. leader's baseless ranting and said that even Americans were not satisfied with Trump's extremism, which apparently, according to Gallup, is true. This official uh, blasted Trump as lacking sufficient experience, saying he should take lessons from his predecessor, Barack Obama. Well, that's going to go over well with Trump. Uh, Those who threaten the Muslim world should take a look at U.S. failures in Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria, he added. And uh, apparently, as of this afternoon, as we go to air, the Trump administration is uh, is apparently considering putting in uh, new sanctions in against Iran. Uh, a very serious and dark uh, situation. Meanwhile, back home, back here at home, Donald Trump is working to abolish the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, at least incrementally. That, according to Myron E. Bell, who was working on the uh, transition uh, for the Donald Trump campaign at the EPA, Uh, He says that uh, people should be very worried. People who work at the EPA should be very worried by the prospect of Scott Pruitt taking over the agency. Um, And uh, President Trump said during the campaign that he would like to abolish the EPA or leave a little bit. It's a goal he has. And sometimes uh, and sometimes it takes a long time to achieve that goal. You can't abolish the EPA by ma- by waving a magic wand, said Myron E. Bell of the, uh, what is it called? The Competitive Enterprise Institute. The Competitive Institute. Enterprise Institute. Uh, this uh, right-wing group. He was put in charge of the transition. And uh, he has said that two-thirds of the agency's 15,000 engineers, scientists, and researchers could be axed. He is warning that uh, people who work at the EPA should be very concerned for their jobs and for the work that they do. So that's happening uh, to one of the federal agencies that is being assaulted, really, by the Trump administration. But what are the federal agencies uh, who seem to be doing this to themselves, who seem to be self-censoring themselves? Talking to you, CDC. That story is next as we're joined by a former CDC director. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Something happening here but What it is ain't exactly clear No, it ain't. Welcome back There's to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We've been uh, speaking quite a bit since uh, Donald Trump's inauguration, which 
frankly already seems like a thousand years ago, but it's been not even two weeks, about the administration's chilling and almost immediate lockdown of climate science matters and uh, both purges and information scrubbing at science-based executive agencies such as the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Interior, Department of Energy, etc., to name just a few which are tasked with overseeing that science. Last week, for example, an unidentified EPA staffer put out this plaintiff cry. Uh, I think this was via Facebook. Uh, uh, Quote, uh, So I work at the EPA, and yeah, it's as bad as you are hearing. The entire agency is under lockdown. The website, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, it's static and can't be updated. All reports, findings, permits, and studies are frozen. And not to be released. No presentations or meetings with outside groups are to be scheduled. Any press contacting us are to be directed to the press office, which is also silenced and will give no response. We're still doing our work, writing reports, doing cancer modeling for pesticides, hoping that this is temporary and will be able to serve the public soon. But many of us are worried about an ideologically fueled purging. And if you use any federal data, I advise you gather what you can now. We have been told the website is being reworked to reflect the new administration's policy. That's disturbing, uh, of course, and uh, and the heavy hand of the Trump administration's nascent war on uh, on science is just beginning. But, you know, elections have consequences and the White House does have quite a bit of leeway as to how federal agencies are run and and what they do. But at the same time, there are other agencies who may be taking it upon themselves to self-censor before even waiting for an order from the White House to do so. One of those agencies appears at least to be the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. Last week, E&E News reported that the CDC had, quote, abruptly canceled a climate change summit scheduled for next month, just days before President Donald Trump was sworn in. The conference, according to Huffington Post, was slated to take place in Atlanta from February 14 to 16 and planned to explore the translation of science to practice in dealing with the health effects of global warming. That's according to a flyer posted by the National Indian Health Board, a CDC partner for the event. According to a spokesperson at that board, which advocates for tribal health care, the event was uh, postponed indefinitely and ha- and it was uh, had been planned for, quote, months and months. The cancellation came as little surprise, however, to former CDC directors who told e e News that the government health agency has a history of shying away from contentious political issues. That, despite the fact that the CDC has long viewed climate change, at least under President Obama, to be a public health crisis. That's not all. The CDC abruptly and indefinitely uh, postponed planning for an LGBT youth health summit after Trump's election to the White House as well. That's according to uh, a source who told this to um, to a TPM. This was supposed to be a big deal, said the source who requested anonymity, given the politically sensitive nature of the cancellation. They had a whole communications team on it. It was going to be on Facebook Live. The intention was to plan a five year agenda. But that, too, is now off. 
Ed Malbach, uh, director of George Mason University's Center for Climate Change Communication, told E&E News about the climate summit cancellation. I'm concerned this is an act of self-sabotage on the part of the CDC. The larger specter is that it will set the tone for self-silencing from the people at the top. So what's going on here? It's bad enough that Trump is cracking down on science and issues of safety, security, and health. But but why is the CDC taking it upon themselves, apparently, to do this? Presumably, these issues are just as important now, if not more so, than, uh, than before Trump became president. So is the CDC too risk-averse for its own good and for ours in these cases? Here to help us understand perhaps a little bit about what the CDC must be thinking is one of those former directors who may be able to offer us some insight into the culture at the agency. Dr. Mark Rosenberg is an expert in gun violence. He is now the uh, president emeritus of the Task Force for Global Health. Uh, after helping to found that uh, that group and uh, being their president and CEO for quite a while. Prior to that, he served 20 years with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention as head of the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, where he was instrumental in the fight to maintain funding for federal gun violence research, most notably during an epic battle with Congress back in the late 90s as Republicans were threatening to defund the CDC for doing related research into the U.S. gun violence epidemic. Dr. Mark Rosenberg, sir, welcome back to the broadcast. Well, thanks, Brad. It's nice to be here, and I'm glad you're picking up this very important issue. It is, and I'm hoping you can uh, shed some light here because I understand uh, what's going on, obviously, with the uh, with you know the the oil beholden uh, Trump administration coming in and cracking down on climate science and some of these agencies. But I'm, I'm having trouble understanding why the CDC would apparently want to do this to themselves. Can you first explain uh, the, the CDC's relationship to the federal government? It's unlike the EPA, for example. It's not directly controlled by White House appointees uh, who serve at the whims of the president, is it? It is. It is. CDC is one of the agencies in the the Department of Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. So that the Secretary of Health and Human Services appoints the director of CDC. And CDC reports directly through its director to the secretary and the secretary to the president. So, yes, it is a federal agency under direct control of the administration as part of the executive branch. But do you, and I know you haven't uh, worked there for a while, but is it your understanding, are the uh, the, the Trump people now uh, appointed to run the, uh, to run the CDC at this point? Because I'm trying to figure out, all of the reporting on this seems to suggest the CDC is doing this themselves rather than following orders uh, from above, so to speak. So do you know, is it even staffed up over there yet? Well, it's not so simple as to say this is an example of self-censorship, because if you remember, there were reports that the incoming administration was asking for the names of all the people who had worked on climate change. Mm-hmm. At the Department and of Energy, and then they then they denied that. They said, oh, we didn't know anything about that, but yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But high officials 
mm-hmm. thought that they had been given this request, mm-hmm. and they refused to give this out, whether it was Energy State or EPA. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not want to provide these. But I think, in a way, that was a warning shot uh, to alert people that people who worked on these topics were going to be a subject of interest, and they might even become a target. So it may, I don't know the exact reasoning that led to CDC's decision to cancel this, but that type of warning shot does not go unnoticed. And I think most of the people at CDC are very committed to serving public health and the public good. They devote their lives to that. They work very hard to protect the nation, whether it's from Ebola, heart disease, diabetes, um, bird flu, mm-hmm. or climate change. They're very committed. They work very hard. And they're not interested in losing their jobs. Well, I was at CDC, yeah. and I fought very hard to keep not gun violence research, but the gun violence prevention mm-hmm. research. How do we prevent it to keep that research going? But ultimately, I got fired by people at CDC, by the director of CDC. And things like that don't go unnoticed. So it may be that people at CDC say we're committed to helping the public, but we don't want to lose our jobs. So it's not purely just CDC people acting, but they act in response to signals that they get. We we discussed last year, uh, I think, uh, when you were on uh, to explain the, the, the ban on gun research, uh, the supposed ban on gun research at the CDC, and the fact that it isn't really a ban at all. It's a choice. I think you uh, described it at the time uh, by the leadership of the CDC to avoid uh, to avoid that research because essentially to avoid controversy and risk loss of funding by Congress. But y- y- you were fired in, in the wake of that fight. That certainly wasn't under Donald Trump. Who was that? Was that under uh, 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 George W. Bush at the time? Um, it was as George W. Bush was coming in. Mm. But it was by a director of CDC who decided that he would rather keep his job than protect the science. And I think that was a terrible turning point for CDC because the public relies on CDC to do the science and to do the research Mm -hmm. to inform them about what's the problem and what are the causes and how do you prevent it. It's critical research. I would tell you a a short story Mm -hmm. that I think is very relevant here. Someone once asked Albert Einstein, they said, if you had one hour to protect the earth from a horrendous catastrophe, what would you do? And he thought for a few minutes, and then he said, I would spend 55 minutes trying to understand the problem, and then five minutes to come up with a solution. One of the most horrible catastrophes that could happen Mm -hmm. to the earth is that the temperature gets so high that human beings can't survive. It's not far-fetched to imagine that. Mm -hmm. But it would be, we're faced with a potential horrible catastrophe, and we have 55 minutes to do the research. And it's so important that it be done. We need to understand 
the problem. We need to understand its causes, and we need to understand what can be done about it. And I think it's so important that that research be done and that it be led by the government. The reasons for stopping it are that people think it's either going to be good for the economy, good for business, or good for the environment. Mm -hmm. And people have this notion that it's either or, and you have to make a choice. And people say, we don't want something to happen that's bad for business. In truth, it's a false dichotomy. You can find things that work if you understand the problem. You can find things that work that are good for both business and for the environment. Well, uh, of course, and that I mean that's something that you know we've been covering on this show for years. It's a, a false dichotomy to say that uh, you know you have to choose between the economy and the uh, survival of human civilization. That that's frankly just a silly choice, but it works well for the. For, you know, for the fossil fuel folks, but y- you've got the CDC here who surely understand exactly what you're saying, Doc, uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, uh, you know, about the importance of this topic. Thus, they planned this summit. It's been in the works for months and months. And, you know, you mentioned uh, the administration, someone from the administration asking, you know, the Department of Energy to name names of people who were working on climate science. Well, when that happened, the um, the leadership at the time at the Department of Energy responded to uh, the Trump administration and said, no, we will not do that. We will give you, you know, public information, but we are not going to identify these uh, these people. We are not going to take part in in your witch hunt. It seems like the CDC is sort of pre, uh, is sort of taking part in that uh, in that witch hunt on their own. Are are you condemning the leadership here for the decision they're making? You say they're doing it to save their jobs. Uh, maybe what about saving the planet? Well, I don't know. First of all, Brad, how this decision was made, who made it, and mm-hmm. how it was carried out. I don't know that. And CDC is not a single solitary person. Mm -hmm. It's not a single-minded organization that just makes its decisions and then carries them out without argument, discussion, or dissent. CDC is complicated. So CDC has multiple centers, and it has a director overall of CDC. From what I understand... The decision was made not at the level of the director of CDC, but at the level of the director of a center, the Center for Environmental Health. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that for sure, but that's what I understand. And from what was told to me, the leadership overall of CDC was not involved in the decision but again, things are complicated, the way information flows, the warnings and information people get is not clear and is not always shared with the public. I think it's not a good decision in terms of the importance. The, five, the 55 minutes to understand the problem are ticking down. Yeah. People talk about the nuclear doomsday clock. We have 55 minutes to understand this problem of climate change. And we've got to start now. One of the things people don't understand is that prevention of public health problems takes a long time. 
you can't flip a switch and say, okay, now we're going to stop the warming. Many things have to change. We don't even know what has to change or how to change them when we're ready to do it. But the, again, the 55 minutes of sticking the decision, mm-hmm. I think, was not a good one at all. And we should understand how to protect the research and how to protect the science. Even the politicians who are pro-business and pro-economic development need to understand the problem. This doesn't dictate what the responses will be, but you can't respond in a rational way or a productive way if you don't understand that problem. And this is basically saying we're going to stop our attempt to understand the health problems connected to climate change. And and if you could speak to that, I know you're not a uh, I know you're not a climate scientist, uh, but a, a similar question came up uh, last time we had you on when we were talking about uh, gun violence prevention, uh, and and you know people, notably Republicans, saying, well, what does what does CDC have to do with gun violence anyway? That's not a you know they're the Center for Disease Control. Uh, gun violent guns aren't a disease. Uh, in that same way, are you able to uh, to, to just put into perspective? Because I'm sure there will also be people uh, saying the same thing. Well, what does CDC have to do with climate change? Climate change is not a disease. Are you able to to connect those dots just a little bit so people understand the importance of CDC to global warming and climate change? Sure, there are lots of health effects of climate change. Some of the effects are that certain diseases, diseases, for example, like malaria or dengue Mm -hmm. fever that are spread by mosquitoes might be much more widespread because as the environment heats up, disease areas that in the past were too cold for some of these vectors to grow and thrive now are warmer and vectors, flies, mosquitoes, other animal vectors that before it was too cold for them to go to other areas now spread into other areas and these diseases can spread and it's not only mosquito-borne diseases that we're familiar with but there are many vector-borne diseases in parts of the world that we don't see now but might also spread to areas like this it also affects health in that Areas that are currently used for agriculture may be lost because of drought Mm -hmm. or because of flooding. And so starvation and famine may become widespread health and disease problems. Mm -hmm. Global climate change also affects migration. And violence is a public health problem because it takes a huge toll on people in terms of death and injuries. And when people migrate, it's been postulated that in the Middle East, some of what has propelled a lot of the fighting has been a migration from rural areas Mm -hmm. that are no longer productive in terms of farming. People left the rural areas to go to the cities. They're displaced, and they create a good basis for fomenting violence and conflict. So it's related in many ways to our health, our livelihoods, and our lives. Yeah, and I, I recall uh, a month or two back when when we had that uh, huge uh, amount of rain, uh, this extreme weather that hit uh, in Louisiana, and uh, there was a concern because of this unprecedented uh, downpour. 
uh, that that would aid in uh, in the spread of Zika at the time. So there's another area where uh, where it certainly comes into uh, into play. Uh, got just a minute or two left here, uh, uh, Mark. But the uh, the CDC also canceled, uh, as I mentioned, this long planned conference on LGBT issues uh, since the uh, new president has come to power. Um, are, are, are they just overall, are they too risk averse in general or uh, can an argument be made here that, uh, you know, caution is the better part of valor? At least they get to stay there and continue studying these issues, even if they're a little bit, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more quiet in doing so uh, for the duration of a uh, an administration like this, which is not friendly to issues like LGBT issues or climate, etc. I think the CDC, Brad, needs to make the case not that caution is a better part of valor, but that knowledge and understanding is the better part of survival. And we, the world is changing. It's changing constantly. We're finding out about new diseases, new presentations of old diseases new areas that are susceptible to new problems. And CDC needs to stay abreast of that. And the only way you can do that is by continuing to support the science and doing what Einstein implored us to do, understand the problems that we face. So, no, I don't think CDC is necessarily too risk-averse. And, again, you have to understand, CDC is thousands of people, maybe 10,000 people working at very different levels with many different opinions. But I think what's important is to preserve that part of our nation's research and public health capacity so we can continue to learn and give the information to the politicians who will then have to decide on what policies we follow. But to ask them to make those choices about policies from a point of blind ignorance is putting them in an untenable position. So I think the politicians need the information to make wise choices. We need them to make more wise choices for our survival and the well-being, not only of Americans, but of people around the world. So the research capacity, I think, should be supported and increased, if anything. And so I think it would be a shame to stop the research, to cut off our understanding and condemn us to proceeding blindly in an area that's potentially so disastrous to the nation and the world. One last question before I let you go, uh, Mark Rosenberg. When we spoke uh, last time, I believe it was just after the, uh, the mass shooting at the LGBT nightclub in Orlando, Florida, and, and the American Medical Association uh, the AMA had just announced that they were planning to lobby Congress, as I recall, for the first time in favor of research on gun violence uh, prevention at the CDC. And uh, we, had, we had hoped at the time, uh, you and I both, that that uh, might help encourage the CDC to do that since they have been shying away from that for so many years. Uh, President Obama at the time had called for uh, for the same, for the CDC to do that, as I recall. To your knowledge, uh, Doctor, has anything changed for the better at the CDC in the wake of those calls from the AMA and from then-President uh, Obama uh, since that lobbying last year? Has anything improved at the CDC along those lines? I think 
there is some progress there, certainly not what we'd like to see, but I think more states now are gearing up to collect information about all violent deaths, not only about gunshot injuries, but all violent deaths, whether the cause is a gunshot or a knife or a baseball bat or fists. Um, they're looking at that. So more states are participating in the violent death reporting system. And second, they're making a big effort in the area of suicide. And you know that um, mm -hmm. most gun deaths are suicides, mm -hmm. not homicides. So I think starting to look more closely at the patterns of suicides and how to prevent them is also addressing this problem of gun violence. So I think there's some progress there. I think it's so far from what we could be doing and what we could be learning about the intersections of mental illness, about drugs, about terrorism, about crime and violence. All of these are critical areas where guns are kind of the final common pathway and where, if, again, if we understand more about the problem, we'll be so much better prepared to prevent it. And we'll be able to both protect gun rights and prevent gun violence. Again, like climate change, it's not either business or the earth, and here it's not gun rights or gun violence prevention. But if we have the knowledge, if we are armed with knowledge, we can do a much better job with our policies. Well, that's what we're working on here at the Bradcast, trying to help arm the electorate with, uh, with some knowledge. And thank you for helping us do that today. Uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, uh, former director uh, of the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control and president emeritus of the Task Force for Global Health. Thank you, doctor. I, I uh, look forward to talking to you again about uh, these and related issues in the future, sir. Thanks for the chance to talk to you, Brad. I think what you are doing is so important, and you do it so well in bringing these issues out, um, especially at a time when our government agencies are under attack. What you're doing is so critical and so important. So congratulations and keep up the good public service. Thank you. You are too very kind, sir, but I'll take it. Mark Rosenberg, uh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. And one point I want to, uh, want, want to add here, the, uh, the CDC's canceled climate change conference is apparently back on, sort of. Uh, there will be a, a conference that will be held in Atlanta next month about climate change and its effect on public health. Uh, but the federal government won't be behind it. Uh, former President, Al Vice President, well, President Al Gore, uh, apparently uh, has been working to uh, to restart this conference. And so they're going to go ahead and hold a conference in Atlanta next month at the Carter Center, at the Jimmy Carter Center, in place of the original one that was planned. So I guess, uh, you know, private folks are, are stepping up here. Yeah, I think it's going to be a reduced conference. Yeah. Not all the people that were scheduled to show up will be able to show up, and there's a big question on whether or not any CDC officials that would have been in the original mm. conference are going to be able to make it to this conference. That's uh, still up in the air. And um, it's it's unfortunate that they're, they're put in this position that they have to choose, it seems, between their jobs and good public policy. What a world when we have to uh, choose between uh, science and, well, whatever the politics. hell else. Politics that we have to choose. Just amazing. On something as basic as public health. Yep.
More science and politics next on the Bradcast with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Melting for Desi Doyen, who's uh, who's going to cheer us up right now, right? With <laughs> yeah, the right. latest Green News report. Pretty please. All right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Today I am keeping another promise to the American people by nominating Judge Neil Gorsuch of the United States Supreme Court to be of the United States Supreme Court. Or something like that. Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, not a big fan of federal agencies. Former ExxonMobil CEO, now in charge of U.S. diplomacy. Republican senators change rules to ram through Trump's EPA pick. Plus, Standing Rock Sue gear up for another court battle against the Dakota Access Pipeline. All of those battles and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You are looking at a sterling conservative jurist who could, at 49, be on the court for 30, 35 years. Think about that. Think about that. I can't stop having nightmares about that. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it is my opinion that Democrats must filibuster Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee since Republicans stole the Supreme Court. On the other hand, I guess there's stuff you think we ought to know about him. Well, sure. We ought to cover what he does believe so we can be prepared. And he should still be filibustered. It's a stolen court. Well, that may be true, but let's go through the facts. U.S. President Donald Trump has nominated Neil Gorsuch, a judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, to fill the vacant Supreme Court seat left by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia. And stolen by the Republicans. Yes, the Republicans have held that seat open for a year. Gorsuch's record on the environment is limited, but he tends to side with corporations in his rulings. Imagine that. And Gorsuch has criticized what's called the Chevron Doctrine, a long-standing guidance that holds that Judges are not experts in everything, so when resolving an ambiguity in a law, they should generally defer to agency experts. But Gorsuch says that gives agencies too much power. Fantastic. If Gorsuch is confirmed, that could impact crucial climate policies headed to the Supreme Court, like EPA pollution standards or President Obama's landmark clean power plan, which is critical to meeting U.S. commitments under the International United Nations Paris Agreement. Oh, international agreements. How quaint. Environmental groups denounced Trump's pick of Gorsuch as, quote, radical and dangerous. Gorsuch, as we noted, is 49, so if confirmed, he could be on the court for 30 years or more, long past 2050, when climate scientists say society must move to zero net emissions to avoid catastrophic climate impacts. Yeah, but did you hear Hillary Clinton had a private email server? On Wednesday, Rex Tillerson, the former CEO of ExxonMobil, was sworn in as U.S. Secretary of State with all but three Democrats. 
Democrats voting no. Tillerson has zero diplomatic experience, and in his confirmation hearing, he refused to answer questions about his role in Exxon's decades of funding climate change denial and obstruction. And for the record, those three Democrats were Heidi Heidkamp from North Dakota, a big oil state. Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Big a coal state. And Mark Warner of Virginia. A big military state. They use a lot of oil. Like all of Trump's cabinet nominees, Tillerson questions the amount that humans are responsible for global warming and advocates delaying action. But Tillerson did say he believed the U.S. should remain a part of the United Nations Paris Agreement to cut global emissions to, quote, keep a seat at the table. The United Nations. How quaint. Senate Democrats this week temporarily boycotted a committee hearing to prevent a vote on Trump's nominee to head the Environmental Protection Agency. But on Thursday, Senate Republicans changed the rules to approve sending anti-environmentalist and climate change denier Scott Pruitt to the full Senate for a vote without a single Democrat present. As Oklahoma Attorney General, Pruitt has built his career out of suing the EPA on behalf of the fossil fuel industry. Even without Pruitt yet installed, the Trump White House is already dismantling public health protections. Last week, they canceled a recent Obama EPA standard to reduce toxic mercury pollution in water. The Natural Resources Defense Council on Wednesday filed a lawsuit to reinstate that toxic mercury standard. Finally, the fight over the Dakota Access Pipeline just got harder for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe in North Dakota. The Trump White House has reportedly directed the Army Corps of Engineers to speed up granting an easement that's required to complete the controversial pipeline, an easement that the Corps had previously denied, pending a full environmental review and consultations with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Tribal Chairman David Archambault, in a statement, vowed to challenge any suspension of the environmental review in court, saying, quote, we stand ready to fight this battle against corporate interests superseding government procedure and the health and well-being of millions of Americans. This is a good indicator of what this country is going to be up against in the next four years. So America has to brace itself, unquote. Yeah, but Hillary Clinton had a private email server. There you go. Just saying. For much more on all of those reports and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. You've got mail. Everything is awesome. So awesome. See, told you it was going to be awesome. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, and to our guest today, Dr. Mark Rosenberg of the Task Force for Global Health, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it uh, for free at any time at bradblog.com. Please drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find, follow, and share me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the TheBradBlog. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do whatever we do on your public airwaves each and every day of the week, mostly. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool.